All right, I'm going to get started. Uh, let's start out with a word of prayer. Dear Lord, thank you that we can gather here today to worship and learn about you. And uh, for all those listening remotely, we thank you for the opportunity to spread your word farther, farther than we ever thought possible. Be with us now as we learn and help us to take these things that we learn and use them in our daily lives as we go about our week. Amen. All right. So we have been talking about pictures of Christ. This is, I believe, our fourth week in the series. <clears throat> um, we used a couple words to describe these pictures, one of them being uh, shadows. And our example for this was the lamb who sacrificed, all right? Jesus uh, was the perfect lamb, and he came and uh, took away the punishment of sin by dying on the cross, all right? We had pictures, all right? Our original example was David and Goliath, all right? David <clears throat> was up against this uh, impossible-to-beat force, uh, which is Goliath, much like Jesus was up against uh, the sting and the, the fight of death. And uh, both things, although it seemed impossible, both Jesus and David were uh, victors. And then we did types. All right. The original example of the type was um, Joseph in Egypt. All right, and how he saved Egypt. His purpose was to preserve life, much like Jesus's purpose is to preserve life for all. All right, and then we did a foil. Foil is something that's similar but different enough where you can learn something about it. All right, and Adam and Eve was our example of a foil for Jesus. All right. So we've done a couple other things now. <clears throat> we kind of started slow in this series, trying to get our bearings and understand how we uh, do this. We've been like kind of a, a car, all right? Accelerating down the road. Been learning about how to recognize Christ, all right? This is our purpose. We want to be able to recognize Christ. All right, we've been learning how to do that as we go. We're getting a little bit faster. We're almost up to speed here. Uh, but as we go faster, I want to add one more bit of information, all right? As I mentioned before, we're going to try and do this chronologically, okay? So here I've kind of put a timeline, all right? We've got one, two, three, four sections. We're going to put creation right here at the beginning. Okay? And here we're going to put birth of Christ. So our current estimate puts about 4,000 years in between creation and the birth of Christ, all right? And so we got about 1,000-year sections here. Um, let's see here. Let me fill in what we kind of did so far, all right? So right about here-ish, okay, would be Noah and the Flood. 
Joseph in Egypt. Okay? What we're going to talk about today is something that happened in between here, in that stretch of time, okay? So, what happened in that time, all right? We get a little bit of information. There was a man named Abraham that I believe you guys are talking about on Tuesday night, all right? And uh, he had a son, and his son had a son, and then his son had... A bunch of sons, which uh, resulted in Joseph, okay? We're going to talk about a little bit different of a story, okay? Not even in Genesis. Today, we're going to talk about a man named Job. All right? Job, spelled like job. Okay? <clears throat> All right. So, let's get started here. Uh... Something that's kind of curious to think about, uh, if we think about who wrote Genesis, uh, it was Moses, right? So Moses lived a couple hundred years after Joseph in Egypt, okay? So Genesis and all the stories were written down uh, about here, okay? We believe that Job was actually the first book of the Bible to hit print. Okay, or, or to be widely told, um, because we believe it, that it was written down around the time that it happened. So we're somewhere in here when Job was first written down, okay? So that's just something to keep in the back of your head as we go through. Even though this isn't the first thing to happen, it was possibly the first written down book of the Bible. All right, let's turn to Job and start at chapter 1, verse 1. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright and one who feared God and shunned evil. All right? So we're going to write down things that we learn about Job as we go through his story. And uh, we're going to start with number one right here. He was blameless and upright. you got to be a pretty great person to be called that in the Bible. Blameless and upright. Keep going. Verse 2. And seven sons and three daughters were born to him. Also, his possessions were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and a very large household, <clears throat> so that his men was the greatest of all the people of the east. All right. So we're going to put another one to, uh, on here. He has a very large family, and he's rich. Okay. We'll put Starts out rich. All right. Keep going at verse 6. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan was also among them. All right, little side note here. When it says sons of God, here it means angels. There was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, 
from where do you come? So Satan answered to the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil? So Satan answered the Lord and said, does Job fear God for nothing? All right. What Satan is actually saying here is, uh, will Job fear God no matter what? Kind of a rhetorical question. Okay. Satan keeps talking. Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household, and around all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not lay a hand on his person. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. All right. So God allows Satan to test Job. All right. And I think something that we should be very clear about here is that Satan could not do it on his own. God is in control. All right. And God is allowing Satan to bring trouble to Job. Let's see what he does. <clears throat> Continuing on, verse 13. Now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them. Then the Sabians raided them and took them away. Indeed, they have killed the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, The Chaldeans formed three bands, raided the camels and took them away, yes, and killed the servant with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And suddenly a great wind came from across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell on the young people, and they are all dead. And I alone have escaped to tell you. So, in seven verses, Job loses everything. All right, his oxen, his donkeys, his sheep, his camels, all of his servants, except for maybe four, and all of his children. They are all either stolen or killed. And he's given all of this info one right after the other. One right after the other. All right, quick succession. Uh, he doesn't even have time to take a breath. Let's see what he does. All right, and let's see if Satan is right. Will, uh, will Job curse God? Continue reading at uh, verse 20 in chapter 1. <clears throat> then Job arose, tore his robe, and shaved his head. And he fell to the ground and worshipped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin and did not charge God with wrong. All right? So Job passes this test, all right? Even though he lost so much so quickly, he still praises God. But Satan, unfortunately, is not finished. Keep reading. 
Job chapter 2, verse 1. Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said to Satan, From where do you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth, and from walking back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and shuns evil? And still he holds fast to his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him without cause. All right, so God kind of says to Satan, look, even though Job lost so much, he is still blameless. He is still upright. God is kind of saying, uh, he's kind of spitting in Satan's face here, you know, like I told you so. And he's proud that Job was still righteous in the face of this trial. Keep reading it. Chapter four, or verse four. So Satan answered the Lord and said, skin for skin. Yes, all the man has he will give for his life. But stretch out your hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, behold, he is in your hand, but spare his life. So Satan says, of course Job is still righteous. You didn't threaten his life. All right? If you threaten his life, he's going to curse you to, his face, to your face. All right? So uh, if God allows Satan to make Job sick and in physical pain, Satan predicts that uh, Job will sin. So let's see what happens. Continuing on, verse 7. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with painful boils from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. And he took for himself a potsherd, uh, which is a, just a piece of pottery, all right, a shard of pottery, with which to scrape himself while he sat in the midst of the ashes. Then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women speak. Shall we indeed accept good from God? And shall we not accept adversity? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. So God let Satan make Job very sick. All right? Satan uh, curses Job with boils. as these open, pussing sores all over his body. Cover him from head to toe. All right? And all Job can do is just sit there in pain. He grabs a shard of pottery and he just sits and scrapes the pus out of his sores. All right? Just imagine how painful it must be to have open wounds from your head to your toe, all right? It hurt to walk, it hurt to sit, it just hurt to move anything, all right? Despite all of this, Job does not sin. Let's see what happens. Chapter 2, verse 11. Now, when Job's three friends heard of all this adversity that had come upon him, each one came from his own place. Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Naamathite. For they had made an appointment together to come and mourn with him and to comfort him. And when they raised their eyes from afar and did not recognize him, they lifted their voices and wept, and each one tore his robe and sprinkled dust on his head toward heaven. So they sat down with him on the ground seven days and seven nights, and no one spoke a word to him, for they saw that his grief was very great. All right. So after their seven days here, Job and his friends begin to talk. 
right? Job cries out to God and uh, wishes he had never even been born, all right? His friends condemn him. They say that Job must have sinned to have brought such punishment from God. They say that Job and his children deserved what they got, all right? We know that's not true because we know this. Job is blameless and upright, all right? So Job answers his friends and tries to defend his character. And like I said, he's right to do this because he know, we know that he's blameless and righteous, all right? Job begins to wonder <clears throat> a pretty big question, all right? He begins to ask why. Why did Job suffer, all right? Why does God pass judgment when he has complete control and could easily change somebody's actions or simply forgive them for the wrongdoings that they did, all right? So we got this big question, why? Okay, why? Why does God pass judgment when he has complete control, all right? Job wants to plead his case with God, but he admits that no one can persuade God. He's already made up his mind. He knows all. He knows the right thing. And nobody can deceive God. All right? So pleading your case won't get him anything. Job with, uh, Job wishes for a mediator. All right? A mediator, someone who will talk to God on behalf of Job to help uh, save him, to uh, stem this judgment. All right? So this question of why is pretty important, and we'll come back to it later. But we'll get back to the story real quick. Okay? Job's friends are still convinced that Job is wicked and that he deserved what he got, okay? And that is why God is having him suffer. Job's excessive talking and defense, all right, is an act of further rebellion against God. That's what his friends think, okay? Now, you keep defending yourself and you just don't want to accept God's judgment that you're wrong, all right? They're just telling him all of these things on and on and on, all right? In fact, they go on for like 36 chapters, Okay, finally, finally here, God has had enough, and he enters the conversation. So let's turn now to Job chapter 38, okay? Job chapter 38, and we will begin at <clears throat> verse 1, okay? Job chapter 38, verse 1. Then the Lord answered Job out of a whirlwind and said, who is this who darkens counsel by words without knowledge? All right. What does this mean? Basically, God is asking a rhetorical question. He's angry and he wants to know, who do you think you are, Job? Who do you think you are giving advice and asking these questions when you don't know anything about what you're talking? All right. You don't you know very little about the things that you're discussing. All right. We'll keep reading and see what God has to say. Starting again at verse 3. <clears throat> now, prepare yourself like a man. I will question you, and you shall answer me. All right, he's talking to Job, and he said, Get ready. I'm going to ask you a lot of questions, and you better be ready to answer. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? <clears throat> Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. For who stretched the line upon it? To what were its foundations fastened? 
For who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Or who shut in the seas with doors when it burst forth and issued from the womb, when I made the clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band, when I fixed my limit for it and set bars and doors, when I said, this far you may come, but no farther, and here you proud waves must stop. All right, so God is angry. He goes on and continues to question Job. His questions uh, are rhetorical. And they convey this idea that Job and his friends know very little about God and his creation. So they don't have any right to ask why. All right? They don't have any right to assume that uh, God is punishing Job. All right? And he goes on and goes on. And Job is overwhelmed. All right? Job is overwhelmed by God and his display of power. He acknowledges God has unlimited power and admits the limitations of his human knowledge. And this reaction makes God very pleased. All right? But he's still kind of angry at Job's friends. So let's pick up Job chapter 42, starting at verse 7. All right? Job chapter 42, verse 7. And so it was, after the Lord had spoken these words to Job, that the Lord said to Eliphaz the Tamanite, My wrath is aroused against you and your two friends, for you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. Now therefore, take for yourselves seven bulls and seven rams, up and go to my servant Job, and offer up for yourselves a burnt offering, and my servant Job shall pray for you, for I will accept lest I deal with you according to your folly, because you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. So Eliphaz the Tamanite, and Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Naamathite went and did as the Lord commanded them, for the Lord had accepted Job. All right, so God tells Job's friends to bring sacrifices to Job. All right, bring sacrifices to him, and... uh, Job will act as the priest, all right? So there's no temple yet. There's no high priest or anything like that. But Job will act as the priest and pray for his friends while they perform the sacrifices, all right? This is important, so we'll add it to our list of characteristics for Job. I actually forgot to add one earlier on, okay? We'll put here that Job suffered, okay? Job suffered. Even though he was blameless, he suffered, okay? He had all of those terrible things happen to him. And then just now, number four, Job intercedes. That's what I'm going to put, okay? What does intercede mean? Okay. Job uh, intercedes. Intercede means to intervene on behalf of another. We kind of traded out uh, one word for another word that's kind of tough to understand. Intervene or intercede means to uh, kind of take the place, all right? Or to put yourself in the way of something that, uh, bad that is happening, all right? So Job intercedes on behalf of his friends, all right? 
God will only accept the sacrifice of Job's friends if Job intercedes on their behalf. All right, we're going to jump around here, uh, starting at verse 10 in chapter 42, and kind of get the end of the story. All right, verse 10, and the Lord restored Job. The Lord restored Job's losses when he prayed for his friends. Indeed, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Verse 12, now the Lord blessed the later days of Job more than his beginning. For he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 female donkeys. He also had seven sons and three daughters. Verse 16. After this, Job lived 140 years and saw his children and grandchildren for four generations. So Job died old and full of days. All right? So here's the final thing that we need to fill out our list about Job today. All right? Things we need to learn about Job. Specifically, he was rewarded. is our picture of Christ, right? It's something that we can use to recognize Christ as the Son of God, okay? Let's draw our connections. Jesus, like Job, was blameless and upright, all right? And also like Job, Jesus was rich. Think about this. Jesus, before he came to earth, was in heaven, all right? He was all-powerful. He had everything he could ever need or want, and yet he thought it not robbery to come to earth to suffer. All right, He made himself a lowly baby, uh, extreme poverty. All right? and he suffered at the hands of the Romans and uh, interceded his precious blood on our behalf. Right? When he died on the cross, he shed his blood. He shed his blood for us, and he interceded it and said, I'm going to take your judgment. All right? He did this so that he could rise again and sit on the right hand of the Father and reign forevermore. All right? So remember when Job was asking God why? All right? Why must he suffer? Why isn't there someone to plead his case with God to stay the judgment? All right? The answer is Jesus. Answer is Jesus. Jesus will intercede on your behalf and take the judgment of sin. All right? All you have to do is ask. To finish up here, I just want to add that postscript in. All right? Do a postscript, a PS. We'll go back to the timeline. All right? Remember, I mentioned that Moses is right here. All right? This is when Genesis and Exodus were written down. Okay? Uh, even though creation here and the flood happened before the story of Job, it's possible that Job was the first book of the Bible to be put on paper. All right? it was, it's also written in a style that seems like it was told aloud. Right? You went sitting around a campfire and your storyteller is there and they say, you know, tell the story of Job. Okay? That's kind of how this reads. All right? So even before it may have been written down, it's probably told to many people, all right? So we can kind of make an assumption here or think that uh, Job was told to everybody before 
the stories in Genesis, like creation and the flood. All right. So this story very well could have been the first picture of Christ. The first picture of Christ that was widely distributed in the ancient world. I just think that's kind of cool. All right. That's all I got for today. Thank you very much.